This is Scott Becker with the Becker Private Equity Podcast and the Becker Business Minute Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with Matt Wolf. Matt's a leader at RSM. He spends a ton of time leading up on valuation efforts and thoughts and diligence, sell-side diligence, quality of earnings, and a lot more. Matt talks to us regularly about what trends he's watching in the private equity universe. Matt, can you take a moment to both introduce yourself and then tell us what trends are you watching currently in the private equity business as we turn into 2023? Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, happy to. So Matt Wolf, I am a director and senior healthcare analyst at RSM. I lead our healthcare valuation practice. I work with our thousands of sponsor-backed portcos, um, and I work very closely with our economics organization, too, to sort of understand and track what are some of the macro trends, what are some of the, and then also specific healthcare trends, and then what is our viewpoint on that, collecting that data, and then sharing it with our clients, with our people who serve those clients, and then uh, with with my good friend, Scott Becker, here on the podcast. So, you know, one of the uh, kind of the overall trend that we're, we're continuing to watch and talk about, especially today, we just got GDP numbers, um, continues to be the, the macroeconomic growth environment and what might a recession mean, what might prolonged inflation mean, not only at a, at a high level sort of macroeconomic level, but also then for the various ecosystems that, that we serve and that we have clients in. And it's... Um, you know what we're continuing to see and what we're continuing to monitor is top line growth and more importantly real wages right so what does that mean for margin pressures what does that mean for the availability of labor operating a business but then when where and how do we expect um downturns you know we don't we don't think that it's going to be necessarily one economic recession that hits all ecosystems, all industries at the same time and at the same magnitude. It's probably going to be more of a staged approach and it's going to affect different players very differently. So trying to understand whether you're, you know, in midstream energy production, you're, uh, you know, manufa- global manufacturer, you're a healthcare, like a, a home health business. These all have very different implications um it's not going to be kind of a one-size-fits-all like it maybe has been in previous business cycles and so really trying to understand what does that mean for for our clients and for the future and and most importantly really how do you position yourself as an executive and as a leader to not only weather the storm but then come out on the other side stronger ready to capture market share ready to capture growth what are some of the things we need to do there Thank you. And you mentioned three or four things that come to mind as you talk about this. In some of those industries, the pricing of product is very volatile. So in energy, you've seen ExxonMobil, for example, hit the home run this past year as energy prices were up. Because oil prices come down a little bit, they're less likely to stay in the top 10 in market cap and revenues and stuff like that, top 10 in America. In other areas, labor is such a big part of it, and you've got labor costs still high, but tending to see a little bit of wage softening both in the tech sector and some of these other sectors that are so reliant on, on wage workers, whether it's health systems, home health, you mentioned. I mean, that's very much a technology component to it, but it still is very much a, you're, you're paying a lot of home health people and wage softening would be welcome. And then the third thing that I hear that you didn't allude to yet, but even if wage pressures come down a little bit, if interest rate pressures have gone up so much, 
this is still going to maybe it'll still not tap into, quote unquote, EBITDA margins, but it sure does tap into true cash flow margins and to truly what cash flow looks like. Uh, talk a little bit about sort of these these different issues, price elasticity, ability to move prices up, labor cost, and then interest rate costs. Because all of a sudden, finance interest rate costs, you, know, you look at Elon Musk trying to take out $3 billion in debt, that $3 billion in debt a year ago might have cost them $100 million a year in interest. Now that's probably costing them $300 million a year in interest. And I know it's all sort of but but the numbers are significant. If you're a hundred million dollar company with a hundred million in debt or seventy million in debt, your your debt costs have gone up significantly in the last year, and it does have an impact on cash flow. What, what do you see out there in terms of wages? Oh my goodness, debt service and then price elasticity. Yeah, so uh, kind of in reverse order, price elasticity was uh, was something of a surprise. I would say I think. Um, Firms in general were more able to pass on price increases to their end consumers than than we had maybe expected, and I think a lot of that was driven just by a lot of the 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 news media. Not not that the news media was creating something that didn't exist, but just you know everybody was reading about constantly how prices were going up, prices were going up, and a lot of uh, organizations and firms took that as an opportunity to increase their prices because you, you don't always get those opportunities, even if your margins go up for whatever reason, you know, so like taking that opportunity to pass down prices um, is something that, that we saw a lot of more than we had expected. And probably, you know, at least in the, in the data, depending on the income quintile you're looking at offset or more than offset wage increases and so you have a little bit of a stagnation there, um, but certainly continued margin pressure and in a higher interest rate environment reduces your options, reduces the values of those cash flows. We're seeing multiples come down as well as investors are more wary about um, future uncertainty. Kind of, We're still getting, at least in the private markets, this shift from growth into more of a value investing almost philosophy. And companies are getting kind of that one-two punch, uh, reduced margins, reduced options, or actually really three angles, right? Reduced margins, reduced options, just because money is more expensive, it's more difficult to make those investments, and then ultimately reduced valuation as well. Um, and, and we expect that this will continue for some time, probably at least through the third quarter of this year, um, perhaps longer, depending on the industry. No, thank you. And they certainly talked about it sort of the World Economic Forum. I saw lots of articles written about people talking about efficiency, profitability, those things coming much more to the fore. Deal making is still busy, but by and large, the interest rate environment and the growth environment, the, the slowing growth and the higher interest rates are, are causing people to be a little bit more cautious to taking on big debt for acquisitions. You mentioned the goal of a CEO or leader is to put themselves in a position that as business climates improve, one, they survive and thrive during a little more challenging times, but then as business conditions improve, they're in good shape to pounce on that and grow market share, grow their businesses. How do you look at that? What are some of the things you see there in terms of that perspective? Because I couldn't agree more. It's trying to stay anti-fragile during challenging times. You could really have the right people in place and the right service lines in place to to strengthen yourself in better times to really win and, and, and clean up. What are some of your thoughts there and what do you see companies doing? 
Yeah, we've seen a lot of different reactions to that. I would say two primary ones. Um, one is looking at your sort of professional operational staff. So, you know, let's use home health as an example. Um, so you have actual like caregivers, people who are out there treating patients. That's one, you know, or group of employees, right? And leaving that maybe as it is, but looking at sort of the administrative executive functions, you have these people who you want to empower, right? You have people that understand your business that are good at what they do. They know things and they're being underutilized because they have to spend half their day moving numbers from one spreadsheet to another spreadsheet. So, all right, let's bite the bullet and make an, make an investment in technology that frees up a lot of their labor so that now we can deploy them towards actually analyzing what are our strategic options because now it's much more expensive to, you know, the cost of capital has gone up. We want to be more sure as we make those strategic investments in opening up a new service line or making a new acquisition. Now let's invest in some of this back office technology so that our talented staff can be deployed to better evaluate some of those options and help position us for that uh, exit. And additionally, looking at uh, not only at the executive level too, do we have the right executives that have the right skill set? Is our chief financial officer a forward-thinking strategic leader? Is our chief financial officer, uh, uh, you know, have a good mind for risk management? And not that one of these things is better than the other, but do we have the right skill sets in those executive positions that we need? And, and maybe you can't get a different skill set, but you should, should know if there's a mismatch, at least so you have that understanding. And then the, the, the second thing that we've seen a lot of good like forward thinking, leading kind of companies do that helps position them is then look for those buying opportunities, right? If you have a strong balance sheet, if you have a strong strategy, you have a strong vision, have a strong team, um, this kind of environment, you can find deals on assets and you can, you can expand into those markets at attractive multiples. You need the conviction to do it. You need the strategy and the infrastructure to ab absorb that and make it work. Um, but if if you're able to do that, the the rewards are even bigger than they might have been, you know, prior to this this period. But, but your point is well, so well taken on having a conviction. When you could look at an area and say, look, we know it's going through a tough time now, but we understand this is going to rebound, and this looks like a deal to us, and here's how we can make this work in the meantime. You know, do, do okay in the margins, but know that it's going to be fine going forward. So, so I love that perspective, and your point on conviction is so important. You have to know it well enough to know you're not just gambling. You, you've got a real clear thesis. That this is going to rebound well, and, and here's how, and it might take some time, but you sort of see the value in the business. The second thing you mentioned, there's multiple different things are about people, but one of the people issues is making sure your best people in a time of growth, softness, or stagnation very much stay alert, stay busy, stay challenged so you don't lose some of your best people when things are a little slower because they're bored and they're looking for other options or other people want to hire them and trying to stay on top of that as well. And I, I think that perspective is fantastic as well. Matt, thank you for your perspective today on the Becker Private Equity Podcast, the Becker Business Minute Podcast. Always a magnificent guest and always thoughtful. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Scott.